McGay he was born. Uh, yes, that would be me. And now you know my middle name, so use that as you will. Um, my mom and dad were both 20 years old, and they were scared to death, you know, but they were also extremely excited because their firstborn son was on the way. Um, not only was the firstborn son on the way, but the first grandson, first grandchild to be exact, um, and uh, it's been, you know, I think it was about nine and a half to ten years was by myself, um, and then, uh, you know, three girls came along, uh, Lord help me, uh, so, <clears throat> but for that nine and a half years, I was spoiled rotten, right, so I, I mean, I had it made because it was just me, uh, but the one thing that I will never forget is uh, my grandmother, who I call Grammy, she, she was telling me about the day that I was born, and so, you know, she kind of surprised me, and she was like, Nathan, at first, I didn't like you. So I was like, okay, Grammy. Uh, first of all, I'm less than five minutes old, so I'm just trying to make it out into this world. Why do you not like me? I'm lit- like, I haven't done anything wrong. I'm five minutes old. So I was like, what am I supposed to do about that? But she soon clarified that, uh, you know, it was only because, you know, her daughter was in pain. She was going through the whole childbirth experience. And so she was mad at me because I was the one causing that pain. Once again, Grammy, I didn't have a choice. So, um, <clears throat> but that's kind of besides the point. She eventually came around and said that, you know, immediately after, uh, you know, she started to love me. And so, um, which, by the way, students, it's a great thing to have your grandmother love you because uh, Christmas is around the corner. You know what I'm saying? So, um <laughs> So uh, I asked my mom what her initial emotions were uh, before and after my birth, just because, you know, we'll, you'll see why I, you know, started to ask these questions. And, you know, obviously before, they're, you know, her and my dad are extremely scared. They're nervous um, because, you know, their, their son's on the way. Um, but immediately after, it was unconditional love. It was pure joy uh, because they had their son here with them. Um, and I would like to still believe that, you know, my mom and dad still love me in that unconditional way, except while I'm in school. Right, mom? Uh, so, yeah, me and my mom, we, <laughs> we, uh, we go way back with school. But I think that they still have that unconditional love. And I know there's probably uh, a lot of moms and dads in here. Can, can I get a raise of hands if you're a mom or, or, or a dad? I know there's, oh, yeah, there's plenty. Awesome. So there's a lot of moms and dads in here, and I would, you know, I would venture to say that you guys had those same emotions that my mom and dad had when you were having your children. And I, I haven't, you know, I, I'm guessing here a little bit just because I have yet to have a kid, but I would think that there was a lot of emotions going into that, right? So you've got some, you know, they're all rational, I would, I would assume, that you've got some negative and some positive emotions that go into that. You've got the negative ones like worry and fear and nervousness, but then you've got the positive ones like joy and, and excitement and, and love, especially, ladies, when it's all over, right? When it's done. So <clears throat> what I'd like for us to do this morning is I'd like for us to put ourselves in the shoes of a very famous couple, Mary and Joseph, right? So we just had that incredible uh, uh, story told by the children, and um, I want us to put ourselves in the shoes of especially Mary. <clears throat> so there's, you know, there's a reason, you know, why I start talking about my mom and, and my dad having me. But 
if you've heard the story, you know, if you, if you were raised in church, you've probably heard the story 100,000 times in 100 different ways. This being one of them, you've probably read it in Sunday school, in, in, in a Bible study, in a small group, around Christmas, every year we read it, right? So if you were raised in church, you've heard this story a lot. If you weren't raised in church, then you came to the right Sunday service because once you really dive deep into this story, it's incredible. Because I think that we, we tend to overlook a lot of stuff when it comes to this story because we've read it every single year and we just know it by heart, right? So we, we overlook <clears throat> quite a few things. So we're going to dive into it, but let me give you a little bit of context here. We've got uh, Caesar Augustus, who's the Roman emperor at the time, and he decides, you know what, it's time to count all the people. So he decrees that a census be taken uh, across the entire Roman world, which is a giant undertaking. Uh, and I, I may be wrong, you can correct me after this, um, but I believe this was the first of its kind. So he's taking a huge census, so everybody has to go back to their city of origin or their ancestral homeland, right? So you've got Mary and Joseph. Joseph, being from the line of David, he goes back to Bethlehem, and he takes his pregnant fiance Mary with him to Bethlehem to take part in this census. Now, they get to Bethlehem, and the time comes. This is it. Mary is about to give birth to the most important human being to ever step foot on the earth. The most important human being to ever step foot on the earth. But let's step back for just a second. If you weren't aware of this, Mary, at the time of having Jesus, was believed to be around 14 years old. Now, it may be, you know, some people may say, oh, no, she was 15. No, she was 13. No, she was 12. Either way, this is a very young girl. By miraculous conception, is about to give birth to the Savior of the world. Now, my parents had me young, and they gave birth to a hooligan. <laughs> but um, imagine, imagine being 14 years old, and you're about to give birth to the Savior of the world. That's why I bring back to that story of these emotions for Mary and Joseph were real. Because they're about to give birth to Jesus. Now, what I want to talk about for the next, let's see, eight to ten minutes. Yes, it's going to go a little long. It's okay. You'll get lunch. <clears throat> what I want to talk about for the next eight to ten minutes isn't about Mary. It's not about Joseph. It's not about the wise men or, or any of the other stuff that we normally think about um, when it comes to the Christmas story. And I don't want you to get the wrong idea that I'm comparing my birth story to that of Jesus's. So let's get that straight. I'm not doing that. So you can't leave and say, wow, that youth pastor, he thinks he's Jesus. It's not the case. So I'm not comparing my story. What I wanted to do with that illustration is help us understand that these emotions that were happening around this whole story were real and they were human. Because Jesus was actually real. Jesus was actually a human being. So I want to talk about this, this topic of, of Jesus being a human. Because a lot of us, it's kind of hard to grasp the idea of Jesus being fully God and fully man. Right? We don't think about that too often. But we know that Jesus was fully God and he was fully man. But I want to I focus on this fully man part, because the fully God is 
That's a big deal, so I don't, I don't want to overlook that. But I think we overlook the actual humanity of Christ because Jesus was an actual person that actually stepped foot on this earth. He was real. And honestly, if you want to fact check me, you can look it up. Most archaeologists, historians, scientists of all sorts, almost all agree that Jesus was a real person. That he was an actual historical figure. Human. Like you and I. So this, right off the bat, should change how we view Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you why. Now, I'm a curious person. I, I, I overthink way too often. So a lot of thoughts are going in my head all the time. So naturally, when I read a Bible story like the one of, you know, the Christmas story that we talk about all the time, when I think about it, I start questioning a lot of stuff. Right? I'm like, okay. Not necessarily doubting it, but I'm like, okay, well, you know, I think about this aspect and this aspect, and, you know, I start to ask the, a ton of questions in my head. And if you're anything like me, you've probably already thought of the question that I'm about to ask. Why did God need to become flesh? It happened, but why did it happen? Why did God need to become flesh? Why did Jesus need to be born of a woman? And actually be on this earth. Why was it necessary? We talk about this, this miraculous story every single year. But have we ever thought about what it all means? Because I know for myself, I, I fail every year to think deeply about, you know, we know the cliche saying, reason for the season, right? Every year, I often fail to think about the reason for the season. And selfishly, most of what I think about is, what am I going to get for Christmas this year, right? And I know a lot of y'all are probably like, wow, that's selfish, but I'm just saying what you're thinking, so you're welcome. (laughs) I start thinking about, okay, you know, what do I want for Christmas? I'm going to give a list, I'm going to send it to my parents, and they're just going to buy everything I want. Or, as I've gotten older, luckily this is a good thing, I've tried to become a little more selfless, and start thinking about what am I going to buy my parents? What am I going to buy my sister and my, my friends and my other relatives? Like, I start thinking about that. But either way, the whole thing I'm thinking about is gifts. Giving and receiving material gifts. But a lot of times I forget about the gift. So maybe if you agree with that, maybe you can agree with this statement. That we tend to enjoy the season more than we enjoy the reason. We tend to enjoy the season more than we enjoy the reason. But as we dive deeper and see what the reason did and how he did it, I think it's a game changer. I think it has the potential to change how we view and enjoy this particular season and this time of year. Galatians 4, 4 through 5 says this. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So Paul wrote the book of Galatians, and what Paul is saying to us here is that Jesus was subject to everything that we're subject to today, just in a different environmental context. It just just so happened to be 2,000 years ago. Okay, so things look a little different, but Jesus was subject to everything that we are subject to. Let me give you some examples. Have you ever been betrayed by a friend, a best friend, a relative, a coworker, someone in your life? Have you ever been betrayed 
by someone. Well, a man by the name of Judas paid 30 pieces of silver, which I I read this, and once again, fact check me if you'd like, but I read this somewhere that 30 pieces of silver in that time would equate to $950 today. So Judas paid 30 pieces of silver to have his friend, his master, Jesus, arrested the night before he was to be crucified. That's betrayal. Some of you in the room may have been bullied at at school when you were in school or bullied at work because it doesn't just stop at high school. It doesn't just stop at college. Maybe you currently are being bullied in school or at work, emotionally or physically. Well, Jesus was brutally beaten and put up on a cross to die a slow and painful death. Talk about being bullied. And I know every single day we all struggle with some form of temptation or temptations. All of us do. I'll be the first to admit. All of us struggle with some sort of temptation in a specific area of life. Jesus dealt with the same thing. In Matthew chapter 4, we, we hear a story uh, about Jesus. He had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. A lot of y'all may know the story already. And so, I mean, after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, naturally this man has got to be hungry, right? I'm hungry 30 minutes after breakfast. So he's got to be hungry. So Satan steps in and is trying to tempt Jesus to turn those stones into bread. We've heard that story. Jesus resisted that temptation. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, went through everything that we go through. He was a human being who grew from a boy to a man. He learned to to crawl before he could walk. He learned to sound out letters before he could form full sentences. He, He was taught things that he didn't know, just like we do. He was human, just like us today but here's the catch jesus did what none of us can do he did all of his growing up all of his living perfectly with no sin jesus did it perfectly so you're probably wondering all right nathan what's you know what does this mean for me I've heard this a hundred times. What does this mean for me? Well, I believe that this means a couple of things that I want to leave you with, you know, as you go into your busy lives. I want to give you a couple of things to think about. Hebrews 4.15 tells us this. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Now, I know a lot of us, when someone uh, is telling us something that they're going through, they're going through a hard time and they, they come to you for comfort. And what we, what we try to do is we try to put ourselves in their shoes. We try to imagine what they're going through, right? So that we can be there for them so that we can comfort them. Sympathy, empathy, all of that. That's what we try to do. And maybe we've never been in that particular situation or maybe we have. But either way, what we're doing is we're trying to understand what they're going through. 
Jesus doesn't need to try to understand. He does. Jesus feels what we feel when we're going through a loss, when we're going through a struggle. So the first point that I want you to walk away with is that you have a Savior who can sympathize. You have a Savior who can sympathize. Jesus has an unequaled capacity for sympathy. It is unmatched. No one can sympathize like Jesus can. For some of you, the Christmas season is an extremely tough season. It's extremely tough. Maybe you've lost a loved one, and this is their, your first Christmas without them, or your second, or your third, or your fourth. Or maybe you have a brother or a sister or a relative that's deployed overseas and that can't come home for Christmas. Or maybe you're struggling financially to buy gifts for the people that you love and you can't really do a whole lot and you feel bad. I live off a youth director's salary. So uh, you can bet I'm going through that one. I love my job though, so it's not about the money. Um, But the Christmas season can be tough for a lot of us. But I want you to know that you have a Savior who understands that, that understands loss, that understands struggles. Second point, and then I'll start to wrap this up here. He lived 33 years for your sake and for mine. So live yours Live your life for him. I read something online a few days ago. Uh, It was on Twitter. And uh, it was written by a guy named Steve Besner. I don't know who he was. I just saw it. Uh, And it just absolutely rocked my world. This is what he said. He said, sometimes I joke about what I'd do if I had one day left to live. Eat junk food, go crazy, etc. Then it hit me. Jesus knew, and he washed feet. Jesus knew, and he washed feet. That's the reason for the season. A baby boy was born to grow up, live a perfect life, suffer, and die unfairly for you, for me. Why would we ever do anything besides live for that reason? I'll be the first to admit, I'm guilty of forgetting what this season is about. So I'm not just here to remind you, I'm here to remind myself of this. I'm here to remind you that the beauty of the gospel is clothed in the humanity of Christ. The beauty of the gospel is clothed in the humanity of Christ. Of Christ. No gift that you'll ever receive on December 25th or before or after. Some of y'all have like three Christmases. No gift that you'll ever receive during this Christmas season will ever compare to the miraculous gift that we've already been given. And his name is Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for sending your son, sacrificing your son the way that you did for us. God, we know that we don't deserve anything that you've given us. 
But I pray that we continue to be grateful for what you've done. God, we love you. And I pray that you will continue to remind us of the true reason behind why we do Christmas. Thank you, Jesus, for this congregation. Thank you for this new uh, pastor that we might be getting here very soon. It's a huge blessing. Thank you for giving us patience in that. God, we love you. We thank you for everything that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.